Welcome to this episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Joining me on the phone, it is model, actress, and all-around great gal, uh, the one and only Tony Katane. And of course, uh, Alan, bonjour. How are you? I'm very well. How are you today? Good, good. I'm assuming, having been around the Rat Guys and Bobby Blotzer, we've told those stories before, you must have run into Tommy. X amount of times over the years, right? I mean, she, you, you're familiar with her on a like a first name basis, I would think. Uh, I didn't actually meet Tawny until I was introduced to her by Sir David Coverdale. Uh, that's when I first met Tawny. Was uh, it would have been November of 1987? Wow, you, you met her late. That, that's amazing because you were around the Rat Guys in '81, '82, '83. Was she not coming over to the house? Did, did you not meet at a party? Um, when I was living with Don and we used to have parties, uh, she may well have turned up. She may well have been there. But if she was, I didn't notice and didn't get into conversation and didn't meet her. But then when Don and I had parties, they were interesting and well populated. And you didn't necessarily know everybody who was in your house. Yeah, they just sort of show up. Uh, one thing that we talk about uh, during the interview, which I found uh, interesting because I didn't know, was that she dated uh, Peter Angelus, right? Angelus from uh, Van Halen and Black Crows, and actually went on tour yes. with Van Halen for three years. I I've always thought of her as, you know, the rat cover girl and then the, the, the video vixen white snake lady or girl. And uh, she's like, no, 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 no. Way before that, I was on the road with David Lee Roth and, and Peter and, and Eddie. And it's like, oh, okay. So so she, she sort of had a, a career of being in the rock world. Um, when you met her with David Coverdale, what kind of impact do you think she made on that band? I don't know. But I, I think, I suspect, and I'm sure you do, but if you did ask Tawny, she would say that she had a considerable impact. Um, I'm not sure that uh, Sir David would necessarily agree. Um, she definitely had an impact on him um, and what their pillow talk was and how that extended to practicalities and business. I don't know. Um, but uh, when David introduced me to her, he was very thrilled with her and, and very happy with her. Um, I was a little pissed off, to be perfectly honest. And I'll tell you why. Because we'd, White Snake and Great White popped out records um, in 87. And had there been no White Snake record, Rock Me would have been the number one track at AOR. But we were always second banana to White Snake. And the, I'd put a girl's face on Once Bitten. And then I put her in the video. And then I had the thought of, you know what? I'm going to be consistent with this girl's image all the way through the videos. And then suddenly there's Tawny doing the same for, for, for David. And I'm going, God damn it. I mean, is this a case of uh, great minds think alike or fools really differing? Or is it 100th monkey, monkey theory? Um, but, it, you know, I looked at Tawny and went, God damn it. 
you, you've taken my idea, my marketing idea, and you're using it, and everybody's noticing you on on a Jaguar, as opposed to the subtle use of of uh, Tracy Martinson that I was using. Yeah, she she stole your thunder, but 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 that's what I mean about her impact because. You know, we love the album, the 87 album, the White Snake 87 album. is a great album, a lot of fun, Crying in the Rain, here, you know, here I go again. You know, we get it. There's hits. But ultimately, and and maybe David would hate for me to say this, but ultimately, it's her on the car on MTV that made people go, ooh. I mean, am I overstating the importance of that of that visual? Entirely and completely, um, because for me, White Snake was all about the impact of that first track coming out of the radio. And again, that was uh, it was a moment for me of frustration because, you know, I thought with Rock Me we had a uh, a real little piece of magic, and that we were going to potentially own AOR Radio with it. And then this white track comes, the white snake track comes out, and I go, "Oh fuck, that is so good." Um, and that record, I mean, you know, you cannot fault that record. That is that is a terrific record of that moment, of that time, and obviously the apex of White Snake's career. It was the songs, dude. It was the re- the recording. It was the production. Um, that's what made that record great. Not somebody doing the splits on a Jaguar. And by the way, I had a Jaguar and I'd never, ever let a woman do the splits on my Jaguar. Yes, but of course, you've done it at least four or five times, which is a terrific visual. Uh, and I will ask you this before we get over to Tawny. While we're speaking of Whitesnake, the, the 87 album was a redefining moment for them. They were very much a British blues rock you know deep purplish kind of band and then they get in there and they get Kalodner to 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 put some sugar on it and some honey and some fruit loops and they sweeten it all up and they sell it to the american audience and and of course they had started a little bit before with uh, slide it in but as a fan of the old school when you heard that were you like oh god what's he doing or were you like ooh I like this new sort of direction, this new sort of radio-friendly white snake. It well, as I said, the first time I heard a track on the radio, my immediate response was, "God damn it!" You know, it was, it just poured out of the radio and sounded fabulous. And he just wanted to turn it up, and he wanted to drive it a little faster down the Esplanade, and it was just great rock and roll, and. Uh, there was also, you know, from from the professional point of view, there was my sense of the competitive. And I looked at that and went, hmm, we're up against it now. Yes, you were. Uh, and on that, I will uh, let you go do some splits on your Jaguar, and I will get over to the one and only Tawny Katane. We are speaking with Tawny Katane. Of course, uh, folks remember her from the 80s being on those Rat album covers and, of course, in the uh, White Snake videos. As we say in Montreal, le bonjour, Tawny. How are you? Oh, le bonjour. C'est bien. Et toi? Oh, très, très bien. Je suis uh, très enchanté de parler avec vous. I'm thrilled to speak with you today. Oh, 
Oh, merci, merci. But doucement pour moi. Yeah, doucement. But we'll, we'll, we'll do this in English today because uh, the listeners are, are generally English. Um, so, okay, I, I want to start at the beginning. Before we get, you know, we, we've talked about, or you, you've talked a lot about the White Snake videos and stuff. So I want to go a little bit earlier. Uh, you were born in San Diego, which was absolutely my favorite place on earth after Montreal, I guess. Um, right. But at that time, you, you, you got to know Robin Crosby of Rat. You dated Robin Crosby of Rat. Um, they were in a band called Mac Mita back in the day. D did you, were you, a, pardon me? No, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, were you ever around Robin in those sort of Mac Meta days? And did, did you see that, that development of him becoming a rock star? I lived with him. We moved in together when we were like 15 and a half, 16 years old. So I had orange Marshall stacks in my bedroom and I couldn't, and we, we, we were living with the bass player for the band that he was in was called Phenomenon. That was the band that he was in before he went up to Los Angeles. I, 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 yeah, I cut, I cut all the guys' hair, hair in the band. I was the, I was the hairstylist. I was the, you know, this is what you're going to wear. Um, Rob obviously got to say on where we would go with the money that we earned from that gig. And it was always to a Mexican restaurant because Mexican food was his favorite and my favorite uh, food uh, on the planet. Yeah, I mean, especially when you're down in, in that area, La Jolla and all that. I mean, Mexican food's all over the place. Um, oh, it's, yeah. In, yeah. My, in my career as a journalist, one of the defining moments was that I got to be Robin Crosby's last interview. And he would call from the palliative care home and, and he just wanted to tell his story. Um, right. Were you in contact at all with with Robin towards the end? Because he, it, it appeared to me that he just wanted to reach out with people and just have sort of a final say and just say, hey, guys, I loved you. I, I appreciate you. And thank you for supporting me. Were you around um, at the end? Yes, I was. I was fortunate enough to be around at the end. Um, about five, six months before he before he took his life um i would go up and stay with him um at the nursing home and he couldn't stay at cedar cyanide he got so big that the beds couldn't accommodate his side that's size that's why he got moved to the like old folks retirement home um they could accommodate him better and every time i would i lived in newport so i'd drive an hour and a half up to l.a and he'd say, and he'd beg me to please bring him some peppermint schnapps. And I was like, do the nurses, are they okay? He was like, screw what the nurses think. This is, I'm in a rest home and I'm dying. You know, can you please bring me my, and I'm like, you know what? Absolutely. I don't care what he wants. I don't care if the nurses say it's not good for him. He's going to get what he wants because who, we didn't know when the thing, if it was going to get better, if he was going to get better, if he was going to survive this. He already knew in his in his mind, he had already made his mind what he was going to do. But something you said really struck a chord with me about him wanting to reach out and tell his story or the people he was around, laying, you know, letting them know he appreciated them or so on and so forth. He said to me in that vein, he said, I wish we would have had children. And that just broke my heart because I. Had had, I was in a marriage and I had two children, 
but Rob was the love of my life. And to not have had a child with my, the love of my life, whose birthday, his is August 4th, mine's August 5th. We both look like lions with all this hair that we both had going on. It would have been, it would have been a wonderful time. I, I can't even put into words what that would mean to me to have Rob's and my child here. But unfortunately, yeah. the cards didn't play out that way. But what they did play out in was that there was never really a moment that we weren't in each other's lives. So the and, day he died, so the day he checked himself out yeah. of the home, as you know, and um, went home and gave himself a last shot and went to sleep. And went to sleep. To wake up. It's never, uh, 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 tragic. Uh, anyway, uh, um, uh, and I'll, I'll bring it back to the light uh, light aspect for a real quick. Uh, <laughs> my my daughter is an is an August baby, and I'm an August baby. So that's, there's four August oh. babies there. So there you go. That's uh, a lot yeah. of yes. Yeah, she's August first. I'm at the end. Of, so you've got three Leos and and one Virgo. So there you go. Right. Uh, right. When when did uh, when did you and Robin split up? Then was it? I mean, were you with him during the so the you know the album covers and the first rat? things or yeah okay so so yeah i go ahead no no go ahead no 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 i i want to hear that story so you were with him until what 84 85 um yeah well we were together we got together in the 70s we met in the 70s late 70s like um 76 77 I mean, like I said, we were only 16 years old. I was. He was a year and a half older than me. Um, but that's when we moved into each other, in, in, moved in together. And I think because of all the support, all the bands, every, everything that I, we'd been through, you know, to, to ask me to do their album covers, I thought was really special. And it was real nice that the rest of the guys felt the same way because I was obviously friends with all of them growing up. So. It was, um, it's really special to me. I am so, so grateful. It reminds me of, I was looking, I've been looking a lot at like Kobe Bryant stuff because he was our neighbor. And so this has really affected me as well. Our whole town, it's affected our whole town. And I see these posts that Vanessa's posting and I'm like, thank God they took those, those photos. Thank God they took those photos. And that's what the takeaway is, is that you get your life and you live it, but you've got to take photos. You've got to, I, I have a photo of Rob and I from like a couple of days before he passed away. And, and I am so, even though he doesn't look his best and the, the uh, disease had already kind of ravished him to have that, I will cherish that until the day I die. So he's always with me because I have that photograph. Yeah, yeah. I don't have to pretend or speak back into my mind. It's right here, right in front of my face. Yeah, yeah, boy, yeah, I, I miss him every day. I gotta say, and and those conversations I had with him uh, back in two thousand two, just they they break your heart. But uh, let me ask you this, because uh, I still talk to Bobby and I still talk to uh, to Stephen. Uh, Rat has always been somewhat of a, a functional dysfunctional band. <laughs> I mean, right? Was that the understatement of the year? By the way, I think I just won an yeah, award for that. that. 
understatement of the year award for sure. I, I will grant you that. I definitely yeah. win for that one. But you know, when when yeah. they're starting off and they're doing the EP and they're doing Out of the Cellar and Invasion of Your Privacy and, and it's starting to take off and Bon Jovi's opening for them and the whole th- and Brett Michaels and Poison. Was it always sort of a dysfunctional thing or at that time when you were there, do you see them having success and it's building and it's 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 a great moment? Or were you sitting there from the outside, sort of from the inside outside looking going, I don't understand how these fucking five guys get on stage every night. They hate, you know, how was it? Yeah. You know, well, well, first of all, first of all, there's, there's, you know, half the band feel exactly the way that you just explained that they felt, you know, how can these five guys get up on stage after they hate themselves, hate each other so much? That is, as you know, being in this business, that is so true for, I would say, 50% of the bands. And I'm probably even, it should be higher, but I'll just give it 50. Um, there's a lot of things that play into that, uh, okay, that um, uh, equation. You know, Rob is, you know, I read somewhere the other day where it said Nikki Six gave him the name King. No, he didn't. We've been calling, we've been calling Rob King since we lived in Huntington Beach, um, you know, together in our one bedroom little apartment. Um, so it's, it's, it's for, to hear all these things, you've got to really, like you're doing, coming to the source to make sure that what you hear and what history, you know, proves is that the truth is being said. And, um, I, I, yeah, I was around a lot during those back days, but you've got to remember that there's, there were egos, Stephen, I, I've never seen a band with so many egos. Like I toured with Van Halen, my first boy, my boyfriend that I left Rob for Pete Angelus, who was the counting crows manager, lighting director for uh, Van Halen became their manager. I toured, I went on tour with them for three years. I was stuck in a bus with Eddie, Alex, Michael, and David um, for three years. And there you went egos, but it always, it always fell back to David. David always had the last word when it came to aesthetics and it came to what the album was going to be, so on and so forth. But when it came to music, it was Eddie. That was all Eddie. Um, now with Rat, I, nobody had a clear cut of who did what. Rob was a Leo. He was a very strong man. He was king. Um, and there, anybody trying to go up, and he was so intelligent, so smart. And a lot of people don't know that because they just look at him as a rock star. He was one of, as you know, you talk to him. He's incredibly intelligent, incredibly. So I think he probably let things slide a little bit because he was smart enough to know to keep the peace. But I saw, I mean, it was crazy, uh, Bobby and Steve. And did they finally get it worked out? I heard Steve won. Did Steve get the name? Yes, Steven's got the name, and in fact, I spoke to Bobby about two weeks ago, and uh-huh. uh, he's he's essentially just retired from it all. I mean, somewhat frustrated at at what went on, but yeah, I mean, they they, they they've been it's suing each other ne- since day one, so it, <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, it should have never come to this. It should have never started. And I think if Rob was in his right mind when all of this was going on and wasn't doing. Drugs, although I will give that to Nikki Six because Nikki had a lot to do with that in a certain way. And I don't mean to say anything bad about Nikki, but we've all read Nikki's book. It's no secret what Nikki was doing. Um, you know, I, I just, 
where was I going with that? I well, no, but 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 you're things. you're 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 right in the sense that had they really put a front up as a team, they could have been right. as big as Bon Jovi or as Nikki Six. They had the songs round and round. Yes. You, you can't deny that they had the singles. They had the songs. They had the right. talent. You're not going to say that Warren Demartini's not a great guitar. Oh my God, one but, of the but, greatest guitar players. I put him up there, right, right next to Vi. Maybe a little less because of the age difference, but he's an incredible guitar player. Yeah, all all they didn't have was, I mean, not, not not to be sim- front. Yeah, but not to be simplistic. What they didn't have was was the proper attitude. They were too busy smacking each other around rather. Than, yeah, yeah, which is which is unfortunate. Um, yeah. Let me just quickly because go ahead. Can I say something? Of course you can. David Coverdell. Thank you, David Coverdell. It's he's he's exactly what we're talking about right now. He got a second chance. David got a second chance. He had been through his drugs. He'd been through his money. He owed $2 million to Geffen Records. He, he fell from the greatest heights down to the lowest lows. He got a second chance because he was talented. These guys, Rat, would have had the exact same story happen to them if drugs didn't get in the way, if egos didn't get in the way. See, David didn't have any ego problems with the band because the band wasn't on the album. David, it was just David and um, Sky, what's his name? The, the lead guitar player. John Sykes. Helped write, D- John Sykes, right. right, who wrote some of the... So, so, when, so when they broke apart, David had all the music and the, 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 the band only got paid by $2,000 a week. I mean, they were making next to no money while David and myself and the managers were bringing in all that merch money and all the albums and, you know, all that. So you get a band where everybody thinks they've got to stay and nobody's clear cut on whose position is what. Like I said, Eddie's was or David Lee Ross was. Then it can go array. uh, And it did. Look what happened. This is a band that should have never had these problems or broken up. They have the material. Like you said, they have the songs. They have the gorgeous girl on the album cover. (laughs) Listen, they they did. um... In in 2020 (laughs) or 2021, Rat should be on the stadium tour with Def Leppard and and, um, uh, Motley Crue. They should not be doing backyard barbecues and and little country festivals. They... they they're missing. They're missing the one component that could get them there, and that was the Leo. That was King. That was the six foot five, gorgeous hunk, Rob Crosby. I agree. Now, uh, what what you brought up, and I actually didn't know about you, was that you toured with Van Halen, and uh, touring with Van Halen is uh, a lifelong dream. Uh, you know. I'm friends with or some of their nightmare, depending, depending. Nightmare, depending on yes, what it is. I, I, I am friends with some of their former techs here and there. But uh, what was that like in that era with with David Lee Roth? Now, what what are we talking here? Are we talking just before 1984 and and their breakup? Are we talking mid 70s? When were you sort of on the road with oh. Van Halen? During the days when we could not walk out the front door, we had to go out through the kitchen. It was like being with the Beatles. It was it was crazy. So 
I mean, that was, I'll never forget. I can't, when I close my eyes, all I can see is David Lee Roth in these striped colored um, uh, spandex pants and a, and a, like a white shirtless tee jumping off Alex's high rise, you know, his, his riser, you know, kicking his legs high up into the air and do a V and just going, ah! I mean, they were just insane and they never got boring. I mean, I watched them every single night. I knew when the cues were, I knew when this was, I knew when the lighting was supposed to be here. I knew, I, and that's where I got, I, I cut my teeth on that so that when I became, got involved with Whitesnake, I, I knew what to do and what not to do. I had watched the pros. Well, you well you you watched the best band in the world. I mean, that's that's what you. I did. You did. And nobody deny that. Nobody can. I'd like to see somebody tell me that Van Halen isn't the greatest rock band in the world. No, uh, listen, you're not going to get an argument from me. But okay, let me just quickly ask you that, and then I'll ask you about David Coverdale. But. Uh, when they brought in Sammy Hagar, what, was that the same band to you, or was that like, ooh, no, no not no? Uh, it was Sammy. I love you, but stick to your own band. It was, it, it was, it just really showed, and it showed the other guys in the band too that David is a huge part of that success because Sammy could not bring it. Nobody, you're trying to fill David Lee Roth's shoes. That's like trying to feel Tommy Lee, you know, uh, or, or Alex Van Halen or, or Bonham. You, there's just certain people that you can't, you can't uh, ever bring back or, or pretend to be. I mean, yes, there's new people that come up like a Warren D. Martinez that surprises a guy like Steve Vai, but you're never going to, if you don't have that guy, you're never going to make, look at Steven Tyler. I mean, come on, look at Mick Jagger. Look at all these front men that, that everybody knew their position and where they were and were able to stay together. Listen, Which I fully agree. And, and with, with Van Halen, what I find unique is that they have four guys that you really sort of couldn't <laughs> replace in a sense because well, throwing out Michael Anthony is, is terrible. Well, I was, I was just going to say, they only have three guys because Michael is the sweetest guy on the planet and he would just go like, okay, let's go. I mean, he never, there was never a question of aesthetics or music. Michael was just, let's do it. I mean, just the sweetest guy. So really, there were three egos in that band, not four. Well, yeah, yeah, three three big ones and I, now. And I was up close and personal. I mean, this isn't just, I didn't read this somewhere or, or get to secondhand. This is up close and personal. I mean, David lived with Pete and I for a while because he didn't want to be alone. Oh, my goodness. That was a wild time. Oh, the, listen, you, you've had a, an incredibly wild 80s, I got to say. And uh, yes, I've. But, but I, no drugs. I'm the only. Me and the White Snake, the guys in White Snake, were the only ones that did not do any drugs because the guys, when, by the time I got them in White Snake, had already been through all of that, like I had said earlier with David. So there was no drinking, there was no drugs, and I wasn't drinking, and I don't do drugs. So it, everyone always goes, oh, 80s, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I'm like, there was sex because I was married. There was rock and roll because that was a profession. But drugs, that was not White Snake. That was not us. That was not White Snake. Now, I, I had a chance to interview David not once but twice in June of this wow. year. 
Listen, he must have loved you. On, on this show, he is referred to as the Mighty David Coverdale. That is very important because that's one of my favorite bands ever. But I, but jokes aside, I, I want to ask you this. Uh, you, of course, are in the videos. And we talk about the videos, the videos, the videos. And, but what do you think was the, the importance of the visual in those videos? Because, you know, Whitesnake was sort of trying to break the American market at that time. They... They, they were, you know, the 87 album was sort of a rebirth for the band. But I don't know if you're not in those videos and they're not that, that's not the visual and the car and the whole thing. I don't know if it goes as successful. Do you agree that the visuals and those vi- and the success of those videos with you in it contributed to them getting that sort of second chance in the American market? Contributing? Absolutely. Contributing, um, yeah, because I, yeah, no, no video. You know, had they done sort of a, a "Here well, I Go Again" performance video, we might not be talking about it in 2020. Well, it, it's it's just another piece of the puzzle of why we didn't stay married. Um, he was the head of that band. There were no other people in that band that could tell him what to do because they were just hired guns but with um oh i've got i lost my train of thought again where was i going well we were talking about about the importance of not only the music but the visuals with with white snake yeah well i think you know we got got extremely lucky too that it was the perfect storm where MTV all of a sudden comes alive. I mean, no one, we haven't see, seen anything like that. It's almost the phenomenon of kids sitting there on their, on their iPhones today. That was the, that was our generation's iPhone was MTV. Um, I think, but I will also say that if the videos weren't good, if Marty Colner hadn't have done such an incredible job um, with me, then I, then you're right. Then I think maybe they are just, they wouldn't be touring with, Bon Jovi, Motley Crue, and Rat. Um, so yeah, I definitely. It's hard for me because you're talking to the person, the girl that was in it. But I'm, I'm also a creative person. So I wasn't just the girl in the video. I was like, okay, let's do this, let's do that. Um, can we do this shot? What if we do this? What if we? So you know, and a lot of that has been said about me about being Yoko Ono from David Claudner, um, Dave, uh, John Claudner, David Geffen's right hand man. And at right. first I was a little upset about that, but as I get older and I'm proving everything that's going on, I'm like, yeah, I was Yoko Ono and you're welcome. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm going to ask you this because you, you mentioned John Kalodner or John Kalodner, John Kalodner, right? Um, yeah, John Kalodner, John Kalodner. Um, but every time somebody talks about John back then, it was like, oh, he's the great guru and he, you know, Aerosmith dude looks like a lady and blah, right. blah, blah. And now when I spoke to David recently, when I speak to Alan Niven, when I speak to others, they go, ugh, John Kalodner. Um, was that, yeah. Is that sort of your impression as well? It's just like, ugh, John Kalodner. Oh, well, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, 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 but that, that was the question. I mean, do you, do you sort of, you know, but listen, let's put it this way. In 1987, everybody went, oh, it's John Kalodner. He's a fucking genius. And in 2020, people sort of rolled their eyes and go, mm-hmm, yeah, sure he was. Do, do you, right, sort, of, do you right. sort of roll your eyes as well? Well, yeah, I do. And and also I got into, I got into like, not fights with him, obviously, but we got into disagreements because 
I, if there was a, a thing that kids don't know back then called A, a side, B side. Um, so I would go in and he'd want to put this on the A side. Like this was the single. I'm like, no, no, no. We're coming out with that song after. Put this as a B side. Go out this with a single. And he was like, and rightly so. Like, who is she? Why, why am I listening to her? David's giving, him, uh, giving me all the, you know, go in and do whatever you want. Say whatever you want to. So, I, I mean, I, I got into it with David Geffen about um, John uh, Howard Kaufman and Doc McGee. And um, he wanted them to go with McGee. Um, and I said, no, McGee already has Bon Jovi and Motley Crue. White Snake needs their own Doc McGee. They're not going to play second fiddle to Motley and John and Bon Jovi. Um, so I got my way that way. And I got my way on picking singles, like I said. And so John did not like me because I was doing his job, but I was doing it maybe a little bit better than he thought or, or could have done. And he just was a pain in the butt to me, did not like me because I was, I was showing him up. And, and I, I know that sounds egotistical. I don't care what that sounds. I'm in an age now where I can tell the truth and, and it's the truth. And he knows it. That's why he called me Yoko Ono. And and I and I have to say, you know, uh, Doc McGee at the time, you're right, was sort of uh, dividing his attention between Bon Jovi and Motley Crue, and we all know what what happened there. It, it sort of he ended up getting fired yeah, by both, you, <laughs> right? Could you imagine if I would have stuck White Snake with 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 Doc? And Doc's a very, really good friend of mine too. As a matter of fact, long story short, I come. Um, I, I get divorced from David, move down to Newport Beach, meet my uh, future husband. Doc McGee turns out to be his golfing partner. Just as I thought, I got away from the whole rock scene. I'm down in Newport Beach. It's all about athletes. It's I'll never see anybody in the music business again. There's Doc McGee playing golf with my, my husband. I thought that was hilarious. That is funny as heck. Um, yeah, in, so, so Doc got me in the end. <laughs> he see he did, and and I love Doc. I actually interviewed him in in oh, he's February. The best. He's the best. I, I love he's Doc. Just, um, just just he's real a quick, great shooter. I just love him to death. Oh yeah, and and what he's done uh, with Kiss in the last ten years has been phenomenal. Oh. I mean, he's kept them yeah. going. And anyway. oh my god, when I mean, it's, I don't know if you know how much money I know how much money he makes off merchandising a year. And let's just say if, if one family could live off of that, for, if 80 families could live off of that for the rest of their lives, he makes this in one year. And I'm not going to tell you, but just put it this way, as you probably already know, Kiss is the biggest selling merchandiser of all time rock bands. Yes, they they are the, the perfect brand. There's They, they do they it. They are. They, absolutely. Listen. I'm sitting in a room right now where I've got a Kiss mug staring at me, a Kiss calendar staring at me, a Kiss wall <laughs> face staring at me. I've got a, yep. a, a Kiss curtains. Listen, they win. Um, and I know we're going to run out of time. Absolutely, for that, they win. Absolutely. Oh, well uh, said. Yeah, yeah. They, I mean, listen, you, you can't deny it. Um, just real quick, uh, you did get divorced from, from David around 91, 92. Well, 91, I guess it was. Um, uh -huh. at that time, he, he started getting into this zone of, I really don't want to do this anymore. 
and, you know, 94, 95, just before the divorce, could you see that, that, that maybe his temperament and his humor about being a rock star and getting out there was starting to change? Because they, he sort of describes this dark period from like 93 to 96 where he was just like, I don't want to fucking do this anymore. Yeah, because the girl in the video was getting more attention than the lead singer of the band. Right. But, okay. People would bring signs. People would paint pictures of me and bring them, you know, and then David would have to have Rody go out, slap a pass on the guy, bring the picture back. Um, but people would bring signs and say, bring Tommy on, bring Tommy on. This poor guy's been working his entire life to get the attention. And now all of a sudden I've stolen it from him. He was, and you know, the ego that David Coverdale has, he was none too happy about that. Um, but I mean, we never fought about it. I didn't really know about it until after we got divorced. I was like, what the heck is going on here? He just couldn't handle somebody. So that's another reason why the guys that work for him work for him. And him and John Sykes could never like, I, I listen, never say never, but David doesn't want an equal. David wants to be King. Well, as a fan, so, I will say, and, as a fan, I will say there is no equal to David Coverdale. <laughs> No, there's no, there's nobody. I mean, like, forget about it. He's got one of the, if not the best rock and roll voice ever. Absolutely, top top. I mean, you've got Lou Graham, you've got David Coverdale, you've you, you know, there, there's you know, you've got Jethro Tull. Yeah. I mean, we've got some incredible Lou Reed. You've got some great, mm. great, really incredible singers, and in that particular genre. There's like maybe a handful of what could what David could do, and there's thousands and thousands of them trying. And and by the way, I will throw uh, Stephen Piercy in there because he's he's obviously not you know classically trained or whatever, but you cannot hear round and round with any other voice. You can't get some guy off of American Idol and have them sing round and round and have it sound like Rat. His voice is incredibly unique and incredibly tied to those songs. You cannot have a replacement singer and, and pull it off as, oh, this is, you know. So I'll give St- Stephen a lot of credit as well, you know. I, I'll, give him, I'll give him the credit for being unique. Because I Completely. mean, there's something to be said for that. There's absolutely something to be said for it being unique and, and not hearing those songs with, with anybody else. But I can. I can hear those songs with with a few other people. Um, but you're right. There's a certain uniqueness that Stephen has um, that you don't just get like, like even poison can't, can't do uh, a Steve Piercy voice, you know, that's going to make me stand up and go, it's the, it's the songs that are going to get me, not the voice of Brett Michaels. L- I love you, Brett, but that's not why I listen. Stephen Piercy has, I think what you're talking about is that ability to, drag you into a song because he's he's very unique in in how he sings. Oh, absolutely. And and uh, Jack Russell a great white also is one of these just sort of kooky voices that just fits for those songs and you just can't uh... Now, I do know that you you have to uh, to run out in a second cuz we we we're, we're both on schedule here. <laughs> but I will I will uh, I will finish with this and then we can maybe consider a part 2 at some point, but you mentioned That's John good. Sykes and Sykes yes. of course 
was a big part. You know, comes over from Tigers of Pantang. He 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 is a big part of the success. And who knows? Then he becomes a recluse, and we never hear from him ever again. You know, um, what, what do you think makes John Sykes tick, and and why do you think in the last twenty years he's sort of been vacant from 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 the rock scene? You know, I'll tell you this. I know how much, and here I go again with the money, but trust me, if people think that rock stars want to do this just to play music, it's not true. It's like baseball players. They don't play just to play. They play because they want the money. So um, so David, it's okay, but they're both going to be taken care of for the rest of their lives because of their music. Where David has a leg up on John is David gets a hundred percent of the merch. So if, if John were to come back, he'd have to split that. David wouldn't want to split that. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And, and listen, I, I don't blame David for not wanting to split it. I mean, he starts this band in whatever, 77, 78. And it, it's, you know, yeah, but John sides, we got to, we have to give him credit. I mean, absolutely. I mean, you know, David, he really deserves that credit and you know and plus i don't know david's yeah. a weird bird he's, he's a strange bird yeah no i mean it's it's, it's a tough one I, I think when you're you start the whole thing and you've gone through all the different band members and and you've kept it alive for what now the 43 44 years I can right. sort of understand why you say, "Hey, no, this is mine." I, I mean, I get that. I can't. I can't fault him for that. I, I probably would do the same thing. You know, to be honest. Well, but see, there's no. He, I mean, he's not. He's not doing anything. Listen, John left. I mean, you know, I don't feel sorry for me, Argentina. Like he just he left. It's not like David's like begging to give him any of the money from from you know from the t-shirts and everything. So. I, I think that John probably just went, you know what, my life is so much better without him. I've made all this money on doing, you know, 15, 10, 15 million albums sold. I don't need any more. I'm fine. And good for him. You know, there's no ego in that. That's just, I know my worth. I enjoyed myself. Now let David take it over. <laughs> And lucky for David, he was dating me. <laughs> huh. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, I, I certainly won't uh, d- deny that. Put that, that part in the show. Oh, listen, uh, the, the, the show is uh, Everything Goes. It, it's, uh, we don't do no, sound. No, I said don't put that in the radio. <laughs> oh, don't put that. Oh, darn. Now I'm going to edit yeah. stuff. Okay. But uh, there you go. Uh, we, we are at almost 40 minutes. We said we would do 10. So. Wow. <laughs> so we're way over. Oh my goodness! But uh, got, no wonder Rob talked to you and you were David spoke to you twice. You are really good. You really know how to take someone down a path and get you. them to divulge things that they maybe shouldn't have said or didn't want to say. So okay. congratulations on that. We're we're safe here. It's a, it's a safe place. But I w- I will if you're interested. I will I will send you the uh, the YouTube link to the Robin interview. And, uh, you know, uh, listen, first of all, uh, the audio quality is is not as good as broadcast because it was done in 2002 on a little mini mic. But right. um, if you're if you sit through it, I guarantee uh, that you will cry because I listen to it and it's just so incredibly 
sad because he's talking about how you know Stephen Piercy was je- jealous of John Bon Jovi and he was jealous of Brett Michaels and and they would yeah, screw he, with their stage too. and yeah and 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 he just he, he listen he 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 put all his cards on the table he didn't give a rat's behind no pun intended yeah. about about offending anybody he 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 was of the mind that this is the last thing I'm going to say and I'm going to say yeah. it and uh, oh, me. I've got to hear this. Yeah, it, it, it's it, it'll make I guarantee it'll make you cry. It it is a very very re, lots of revelations, and it's just it's so um, it's sad. It's sad, but well, and here we are coming up on the eve of his his birthday. You know, yeah. And and so it, it always hits me around this time. I'm full- not unfortunately, but fortunately, my birthday, like I said earlier, is the next day. But I can't help but be completely saddened by the fact that he's not he's not here to celebrate. Yeah, you know what? I come to think of it, August fourth is only a couple of weeks away. I think I might actually put this yeah. episode up on that day to celebrate. Oh, that would be nice. Yeah, you know what? I will put this up on August fourth to to say, here, Robin, this one's for you. So there you go. There you go. Thank you, Tani. There you go. Absolute pleasure. pleasure. And I will I will text you that link in a second. And uh, I will put this up on August 4th. And uh, as we say in Montreal, merci beaucoup. Thank you so much. Oh, uh, c'est d'accord. Et toi. And um, if you could send me a link after you're done with this, I'll be able to post it on my stuff as well. Yes, absolutely. I will. Uh, okay. uh, we will do this uh, in in two weeks, and I, I will send you. I I have a a one stop link that that connects to everything to Spotify, iHeart, and all oh, that. So, what? yeah, I'll send you okay. that link now, just so you have it. But it's uh, because it's it's okay. it's one link for everything. Um, okay, and you. listen, you start listening to it, and you've got any other questions that we weren't clear on. Just you know what? Now that I know you, and now that I've spoken to you. Just go ahead and give me a call, and um, I'll I'll answer whatever question you may need to uh, fill in something that wasn't there. Sounds good to me. Okay. Merci, merci beaucoup. Have a great a great afternoon. Thank you. You too. Cheers. Now, bye bye. Bye, sweetie.